Welcome to Cases and Controversies, a Supreme Court podcast by Bloomberg Law. I'm Kimberly Robinson. And I'm Greg Storr. And the independent state legislature theory is back in the news following a rare rehearing by the North Carolina Supreme Court on February 2nd. Uh, So, listeners, let's flash back to December 2022 when the justices heard an election case, Moore versus Harper, which could change the way that state courts police election rules. Presumably, some justice has started hammering out a majority opinion, though the public likely won't see it until summer. But the North Carolina Supreme Court's decision to rehear one aspect of the case could throw a wrench into the process. So we are going to focus today on the new developments. But if you want to know more about Moore versus Harper, we have got you covered because we did a deep dive into this case earlier. So be sure to go back, uh, take a listen to that if you want a little more background on Moore versus Harper. But now we're going to have somebody come on to talk about what's going on in North Carolina. So joining us to examine what happened and to try to read the tea leaves on what that means for the Supreme Court is UCLA election law expert Rick Hassan. So, Rick, can you remind listeners what Moore versus Harper is all about and what's sort of of at stake in this case? Sure. And I'd say it's probably the most complicated election case I've had to explain in the 20-something years that I've been uh, explaining election law cases to people. So bear with me for a second. (laughs) That's why we brought you on to explain it, Rick. So um, kind of the narrow issue is about partisan gerrymandering. That is whether or not drawing district lines for Congress, as the North Carolina General Assembly did to benefit the uh, Republican Party. Republicans drew the lines to benefit Republicans. uh, Whether that violates the state constitution. uh, That was the kind of the, the basis for the case. The North Carolina Supreme Court said, yes, indeed, there's a part of the North Carolina Constitution that uh, guarantees free and fair elections and, and drawing lines in such an unfair way, the court said, is a violation of the state constitution. The legislators weren't happy about that, so they went to the Supreme Court. Ordinarily, you can't go to the Supreme Court to complain about a state law issue. Really, the North Carolina Supreme Court is the last word on what the state constitution means. But they made an argument which is sometimes referred to as the independent state legislature theory, which is the idea that there's a part of the Constitution that gives states through their legislatures the power to set the rules for congressional elections, subject to a congressional override, gives the state legislature that power to the exclusion of other parts of the state government, like the state courts applying state constitutions. So the issue in Moore is whether or not the state Supreme Court violated the U.S. Constitution when it policed partisan gerrymandering for congressional elections. So the Supreme Court heard arguments back in December in the case. What sort of indication did you take from that argument as to what might the outcome be? Well, we knew before the oral argument that there were four justices on the court who had expressed at least some sympathy with the theory in some of its manifestations, but this was the first kind of full airing of it. It seemed pretty clear that Uh, Some of those justices were not comfortable with the full extent of the argument that the um, legislators were making, but they were quite sympathetic to a a, a similar argument. It's actually an argument that goes back to Bush versus Gore, which was the 2000 case that ended the presidential election, and a concurrence that was written by Chief Justice Rehnquist. You know, we'd kind of be splitting hairs here between the two uh, different theories, but uh, just... 
speaking non-technically, adopting the Rehnquist idea would give the U.S. Supreme Court some ability to control some out-of-control state Supreme Courts, um, but it wouldn't give the legislature kind of unbridled independent authority to be setting rules for federal elections that could not be somehow interpreted or regulated also through by state election officials and state courts. So that brings us to the latest developments. The North Carolina Supreme Court decided to rehear uh, this case. So what, hmm, wondering if you could take a stab at what changed at the North Carolina Supreme Court to make them change their minds, Rick? So North Carolina elects their Supreme Court in partisan elections. The prior uh, Supreme Court before the November elections had a Democratic majority. So it was a Democratic majority that found a Republican gerrymander. Now there is uh, that we had elections. Now there is a five to two Republican majority on that court. And they have agreed to rehear the remedy portion of the case. In their petition for rehearing, they argued that the underlying issue, you know, whether or not partisan gerrymandering violates the North Carolina Constitution, whether that should be uh, reversed, overturned. And so really the core question that is before the Supreme Court, did the North Carolina Supreme Court go too far when it policed partisan gerrymandering under its state constitution? That underlying ruling could be gone, and that raises a question about mootness. The Supreme Court's power under Article 3 of the Constitution is only to hear cases and controversies, and if there's no longer a controversy between the two parties, the Supreme Court is essentially deprived of jurisdiction. There's nothing for it to hear. So I've been waiting. I've been checking the docket every day to see if there's a letter from one or both parties. Both parties might want the case to keep going, but at some point there's going to be something that happens to bring this to the court's attention, or the court may itself direct the parties to brief the question of whether this makes a difference. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the parties notified the Supreme Court when the North Carolina Supreme Court issued its ruling on remedies back in in December after the, the U.S. Supreme Court had heard arguments, but they haven't yet notified the Supreme Court as of this recording uh, that the, the North Carolina court is now reconsidering that ruling. Um, Rick, I want to uh, ask you to kind of lay out a little bit of a timeline for us here. So the Supreme Court heard arguments on December the 7th. Uh, what kind of schedule are we looking at from the North Carolina Supreme Court and how might that intersect with what the U.S. Supreme Court is doing? So typically with the big ticket cases, as you both well know, uh, they come at the end of June. Sometimes it even bleeds into, you know, we're going to mess up our July 4th weekends. Uh, we all know that that's like the busiest week of the year is the end of June. That's fully when I expected to see an opinion in this case. You know, why would it take so long if they were in December? They're going to keep honing their opinions and dissents until the very last minute in a big case like this, like same like we saw with the abortion case or the gun case. These cases come tend to come at the end. The North Carolina Supreme Court uh, has issued a pretty fast order where uh, the issue would be briefed by early March. And that means that an opinion could come in time. Now, you may wonder, why would the North Carolina Supreme Court rush these things? Uh, mm -hmm. I don't think the answer is because they're, you know, Republicans now and they want to, you know, quickly overturn what the Democratic majority did in the past. I think it's because it's an election case. You know, there's always another election around the corner. If you're going to have to redraw district lines, this takes time. When people are deciding whether or not to run for office, 
where the district lines are will affect whether they run and where they run. And so probably they figure if they're going to mess with uh, this partisan gerrymandering ruling, and I would say if they're granting rehearing, which is practically unprecedented, as the dissent mm-hmm. pointed out in North Carolina, they're going to do it because they're going to reverse. So my guess would be, uh, you know, briefing in March, maybe they hold an oral argument in April and issue something in April or May, uh, which would come before the Supreme Court uh, issues its, uh, would issue its ruling. Now, one thing the U.S. Supreme Court could do is they could just simply hold the case. There's nothing that requires the court to decide a case the same term. They could order re-argument. They could dismiss the uh, the grant of uh, of cert as improvidently granted later on. So they can delay things. But, you know, I filed a brief in the case, an amicus brief. I think there were 60 briefs. Uh, there's been a lot of energy put into this. It's an issue that's got to be resolved before the next presidential election, or we're going to have a lot of uncertainty. It's an issue that kept cropping up in the 2020 election, and it gave me a lot of heartburn. So uh, as much as uh, you know, people might not want the Supreme Court to weigh in on this, if they're going to weigh in, sooner is better than later. So you you said a lot there that I think we wanted to sort of flesh out a little bit more. Um, One of the things um, that you said, and I think everybody also seems to be assuming this, is that this new GOP-led North Carolina Supreme Court seems almost it seems almost inevitable that they're going to reverse course. And I guess um, you know is. Is that sort of, as you said, because of the rarity of these rehearing petitions? There was some language about that by the dissenting North Carolina justices. But maybe if you could just kind of explain that a little bit more for for listeners. So it's really rare to grant rehearing. Often you grant rehearing because uh, as a court because you've missed something major. You know, there's like a piece of the record that that everyone overlooked or, you know, there was something, you know, in, in particular that was was really um uh, egregious, or there was a big error in the court's opinion. So, you know, granting rehearing is, is unusual. Uh, sometimes a court will grant rehearing just so that they can issue a slightly revised opinion to deal with something that someone raises in a petition for a hearing. But granting rehearing like this, full stop, like we're going to have new briefing, we're going to rehear this case, very unusual. The dissenter, um, Justice Earls, was one of the remaining Democrats on the state Supreme Court and a former election litigator. She was livid. And there was also a, they also agreed to hear the state, uh, the, the application of this to state uh, races. They're also hearing a voter ID case again. Um, you don't like take the heat for doing this and um, uh-huh. incur the wrath of the dissent, you know, without making any kind of statement, unless you're planning on probably doing something. <laughs> yeah, I was really, um, I was struck by, um, and you said Justice Earls had put in her dissent that since January of 1993, a total of 214 petitions for rehearing had been filed and they'd only granted two. So to kind of give listeners a scope of um, what we're dealing with. Yeah, and it's the kind of thing that um, if two years down the line, there was another case that came along and the state Supreme Court said, you know what, we no longer adhere to our views on whether partisan gerrymandering violates the state constitution. It would be controversial. But what makes it what makes it look worse is that it's, you know, as you said in your earlier question, it was an immediate uh, switch as soon as the Supreme Court's partisan balance changed. And it points out, you know, one of the dangers of having elected judges. Uh, but of course, they're elected for a reason. And 
presumably people are voting for them because they expect them to have a certain set of uh, mm-hmm. jurisprudential commitments that were likely to lead them down this path. So, Rick, I want to go back to something you were talking about a little bit earlier. Let, let's say the, the North Carolina Supreme Court does indeed reverse itself before the U.S. Supreme Court rules. It, 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 you were suggesting that the Supreme Court may have some options on, on, on what it will do, including maybe re-arguing the case the following term. Uh, do you anticipate that the U.S. Supreme Court will still have jurisdiction uh, and, and therefore they, they can uh, rule in the case? Or is there a, a possibility that something the North Carolina Supreme Court does will make it so that the U.S. Supreme Court doesn't even have the power to act in the case at all? Well, there are some exceptions to the mootness doctrine. For example, that is capable of repetition yet evading review. So, for example, in a an abortion case, you know, you've got an emergency where you got if you don't decide the issue, um, you know, the gestation only lasts so many months. You've got to decide this pretty quickly. Um, I don't think this falls into that category. And in fact, there is a uh, an Ohio case in the wings raising this similar issue. There have been other cases uh, from other states. So I think they really could address this in the future. The pressure here is is the pressure of not deciding it in the middle of an election. Um, and of course, you know, all the work is not going to be lost. The, the arguments are going to be similar enough. Yes, you're going to have to have a new set of briefing, a new set of oral arguments. But uh, so maybe instead of getting, you know, we're like we're sitting around in June 2023, it's we're sitting around in June 2024 having this mm-hmm. discussion, which is better than it being decided in December of 2024 at, while we're trying to figure out uh, who the president is. I mean, this sounds um, somewhat like an easy or obvious question, but what, I mean, what is the risk of them deciding it in December 2024? Is it just that the stakes um, may sort of, um, well, what is the risk, I guess, without me trying to anticipate? So... Uh, you remember the, we held voting in the middle of the pandemic there. It was hard for people to vote in person. People worried about getting, this is before we had vaccines, right? People worried about getting sick. Uh, there were poll workers that were sick. So voting by mail expanded. And the mails were slow. And, you know, the, part of that was because of the pandemic too. So some voting rights people went to the uh, state Supreme Court in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is a lot like North Carolina in the sense that they had a Democratic majority state Supreme Court and a Republican legislature. And some, some voting rights people went to the state Supreme Court and they said, you know, because of the delay in the mails, we think that to protect people's voting rights under the state constitution, you should extend the deadline for the receipt of mail-in ballots by three days. Um, that, that protects people's voting rights. And the state Supreme Court agreed. Three-day extension. Well, then the Republicans objected to that. They went to the U.S. Supreme Court and they made the same independent state legislature argument. It's a little different because it was in a presidential election contest. So we're talking about Article 2, which gives state legislatures this power rather than Article 1, Section 4, but it's a parallel kind of thing. And the state Supreme Court um, had extended this power under the state constitution. And the argument that was made to the U.S. Supreme Court was, hey, don't do that. Uh, that's violating the U.S. Constitution. You're taking away the legislature's ability to set the deadline. And Justice Alito, who is the uh, circuit justice that covers the Third Circuit, that is, he's the Supreme Court justice who's geographically assigned to the area that includes Pennsylvania, which is where he's from. Uh, in that, um, 
uh, situation. He said, take all those ballots that come in in those extra three days and set them aside. And I don't know if they should be counted. And the ballots were set aside. Fortunately, there were only 10,000 of those ballots statewide. The margin between Biden and Trump was 80,000 votes. So those 10,000 votes were not going to be outcome determinative. But you can imagine a slightly closer election you know, millions of ballots being cast, slightly closer election, and those ballots are determinative. And the Supreme Court's decision on this abstract, hard to explain legal rule actually determines who the president is. That's the nightmare scenario. That's not good for election integrity. That's not good for the Supreme Court's legitimacy. So you really don't want to resolve this in the middle of a presidential election. Far better for something to come out at the, at the, in June uh, when it doesn't affect any results in any major election to deal with this question. Well, thank you so much for joining us, uh, you know, as so many things with the Supreme Court. Um, you know, I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens, but interesting developments on on ISL. Yeah, and it really would be a shame for all that effort to go to waste, but uh, I don't really see how this comes out a different way uh, if they're mm. gonna rehear the case in North Carolina. We'll be back next week for a sneak peek at what is arguably the most important sitting of the term. We'll have cases about social media and student loans and Title 42 immigration restrictions. We'll talk about those next week. So buckle up. Until then, you can follow along with all the latest Supreme Court news at news.bloomberglaw.com. Taxes and accounting are complicated, but finding a good tax podcast shouldn't be. Listen to Talking Tax, the podcast that breaks down all of these issues on a weekly basis. Every Thursday, Talking Tax will explain the latest issues for you, from corporate filings to diversity within the profession, and even the latest on the burgeoning cannabis industry. Download and subscribe to Bloomberg Tax's Talking Tax, wherever you get your podcasts.